Hey, welcome to Textual Healing. I'm your host, Mallory Smart. On today's episode, we have Francis Delario. Francis is a poet and teacher from Bluebell, Pennsylvania. He received his MFA in creative writing from Arcadia University in 2014 before releasing If and When We Wake from Unsolicited Press in 2015 and Please Plant This Book from The Head in the Hand Press in 2018. Francis has also released All's Not Lost, a collaborative vinyl EP of poetry infused music to benefit the Tiny Changes charity organization and one of my favorite with a difference from Trident Boulder Press in 2020. It's a split book of covers with Philadelphia author Nick Gregorio. He has just released a new full-length poetry collection, Joy, also from Unsolicited Press. Beginning with one pregnancy and ending with another, Joy examines the ways in which we keep ourselves alive, centering around the birth of Delario's first child while coping with the loss of friend and collaborator Scott Hutchison. With a foreword by acclaimed author Maggie Smith, this life-affirming collection highlights what Boney Vare's Sean Carey describes as Delario's relentless hope in love, encouraging readers to push through hardships to find their own sense of meaning. We'll talk about all that and more with a very, very strange sidetrack into Stranger Things, because what the fuck else are we going to talk about this summer? I hope you enjoy this episode with Francis. Attention downtown west. We shouldn't have too many of these. This is fascinating. (laughs) You also have access to the small gym, which is located directly across from the cafeteria. Please be reminded, if you are not being picked up by a parent or guardian to be driven home, you are to remain in the building for the remainder of the school day. At this time, the lobby, hallways, library... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Can I keep this in the podcast? You know what? I did one, um, a UK-based podcast last week, and it was real early in the morning, and in the middle of our, like, hello, how are you, the, the national anthem and star-spangled banner started playing. Dear God. <laughs> um, okay. It's hilarious, get, but yeah. You know, I was like, yeah, 12.40 should work because the kids will be out of the building. I forgot some of them aren't leaving yet. We're, we have an early dismissal, but let me get my voice memo thing going. That's cool because we get a lot of fuck-ups sometimes. Yeah, I'm sure with tech and everything. <laughs> yeah, it totally saved one of uh, the podcasts I am about to edit for this week because their side ended up horribly, but then they sent me the memo and I was like, oh, dear God, thank you. Like, save me from days of panic attacks. Oh, my God. Where the hell is my... There it is. Okay. I used to use this thing all the time. And I never use it anymore. Okay. Cool. So, I'm just going to say that that's like the school intercom thing. Yes. It sounds like a train station. I can see that. Yeah. It doesn't sound like they did when I was in school. I don't know. I guess lower tech i'm not sure maybe my school's lame i don't know i mean this is some pretty old tech i think they just try to be a little happier than they used to be really i was gonna say it sounded pretty automated (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, where um, it's like last train leaving at 5 p.m. from so and so station. Yeah, I guess that was the uh, that was the like if you leave the building at this point and you're not supposed to, you're in for it. So maybe they were trying to sound a little more threatening. Ooh. So wait, what what do you teach? Um, I teach high school English and creative writing here. Um, but I also teach writing comp at a couple different colleges. Um, so I'm all over the place. That just sounds, I was going to say it sounds cool, but it sounds like a headache. I mean, I'm yeah. not going to lie. I love it. You like it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm one of those like rare people these days that actually likes their job. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's pretty nice. I feel, I feel bad when I listen to people talk about like being miserable for most of the day <laughs> and like, it's such a blast to work here. Um, so yeah, it like bums me out. Everybody should be able to experience like um, fulfilling employment. Agreed. Because if you have to do it, it sucks if it's not at least kind of fun. Exactly. See, I was going to be either a history professor or a history teacher like high school, but I definitely wanted to do more uh, college instead of high school because my vibe yeah. was that teenagers, they're stuck doing it. They don't really have the choice. They're forced to be yeah. there. Do you get that vibe? or? So I have. Um, that's pretty common in this population. Uh, what I will say is I've been here long enough that I built the creative writing elective, and the kids that take it want to take it. So they're, like, happy to be here. And I'm finally teaching a dual enrollment senior class. So the kids are technically enrolled in college and taking the class through here. Um, and so again, like they signed up for it. They want to be here. So I don't have to deal as much with like the school sucks. I hate to read kids, mm -hmm. um, anymore, but yeah, it's just, it's just a different type of teaching when you have them. See, that's better. I would definitely prefer it if they were like actually excited to be in your seats instead of like talking and being like, I don't want to listen to this shit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't care how smart they are. I just, if you just show up and hang out like that's good enough like I can as long as you're okay your attitude's okay like I can get anybody anywhere mm -hmm. but it's yeah it's, it's a little it's tough to it's tough when they really don't want to be here it's funny because I actually really hated all my English teachers so <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying not to take that hatred out on you <laughs> oh no yeah I, listen I get it I, I didn't really like high school that much either uh, and I definitely didn't do that great I don't think I got into like an academic mindset until <laughs> college. Shockingly, I did do good, and I did like high school. I just hated those people. <laughs> <laughs> well, is, we can be a pretentious bunch. Yeah, I, I would say one was pretentious, and then the other one, I don't know, I guess what, if someone who really, really thought they did know everything but really didn't know a lot, would you say that's pretentious? Or, I don't know, a teacher on a power trip? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's rough. That's rough in any in any academic, like whatever course you're taking. If the teacher's on a power trip, you're not going to have a very good time. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, I, I almost have no issues saying their names, Dr. Pucciani. <laughs> <laughs> Call them out. I know. Call them out. Mr. Myers, <laughs> Miss Alvarez, go fuck yourselves. I'm a writer oh, now. <laughs> yeah, look at me now. 
Like, seriously, I like it. Because one actually did say I had an aptitude for writing and I would be a really good writer, but then she constantly talked shit about my writing. And she's like, you should oh, no. keep this on MySpace or put it on your blog. This isn't for, like, oh, God. professional writers will never write this way. And I was just like, go oh, fuck yourself. Isn't it funny now? Like, put it on your blog is half the time that's where people, like, get their writing found now. So they were trying to be a smart ass, but it was almost okay advice. I know. It was like, <laughs> thank you for recommending that. But you know, yeah. what is a blog today? You know, to get very existential. I know, right? It's, I mean, m- I feel like most authors' websites are kind of set up like blogs. So many people use social media to get discovered. Discovered in quotes, of course. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's different than than it was yeah because like when i was in high school there was like tumblr live journal myspace and i don't know if you're aware like right before i started high school there was zanga okay i recognize the name but i how old are you i am 31 okay i'm 35 so i think i might have been at an age when that came out where i was like i'm i'm done with all this shit and i didn't have (laughs) one of those but i definitely had a myspace um yeah, I wasn't huge into the social stuff, the social media stuff back then, but I did have some of it. I always liked the passive-aggressive aspect of MySpace, you know, the top eight friends. <laughs> yeah, and that was, you'd spend time on that. People thought deeply about who was going in. And also, like, you could do, like, the background music and everything, and it's yeah. like, what defines me right now? <laughs> I feel like everybody's talking about that again with the whole... Um, Stranger Things music. Did you see the uh, tweet that I put up right before getting ready to podcast? Know. I was just listening to the song. Oh, God. It's been stuck in my head for like a week now. See, I tweeted it and then I took it down because I realized that like my tweet was kind of out of order. I was walking to Starbucks while tweeting. I have this amazing ability to just like not look at my phone whilst doing an entire tweet. <laughs> I saw teenagers as I passed by. They're like, how is she doing this sorcery? <laughs> but then when I eventually did look down, I was like, I didn't misspell anything, but it is out of order. <laughs> <laughs> That's still pretty impressive that you're confident enough to not look when you're typing those out. You know, it's one of those, like, I'd rather not get hit by a car. Fair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's fair. It's like, I, I'm counting on autocorrect for a brief about like amount of this. <laughs> and when I looked down, I was like, it looks all right. And I tweeted yeah, it. Yeah, it's good enough. I am, I am going to assume that in the next year or two, one of these social media platforms is going to have background music. They're going to bring that back. I'm curious. Because people are getting bored. Like, I can't imagine Twitter doing it. It's probably not going to be Twitter. I bet it'll be Facebook. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so since we brought up Stranger Things, what song would save your life from Vecna? I'm hoping oh, that God. all listeners have just learned this so I don't need to explain Vecna. I, uh, I mean, I'm watching the thing, and I still think I could probably use an explanation on what that thing is. Um, <laughs> but, okay, so the song that would bring me back. Yeah. I have had a very long connection with the Death Cab for Cutie song, Passenger Seat. Um, It was on Transatlanticism, and it was our our first dance at our wedding. Um, So maybe I'll give a sappy answer and say that it was that. Um, That song would haul me back out. 
I mean, you gotta have the sappy answer, though. I mean, it's gonna be it's, like it's inspirational, deeply emotionally yeah. connecting. So it draws I mean, you What back. else is gonna pull you away from that? Whatever that guy is. Yeah, like the upside down hellscape number yeah. one. Oh shit! Did you finish? How far are you into the show? I didn't. I uh, okay. I think you know we're... nothing about number one. I said nothing. <laughs> okay. You know what? I I don't even know that I understand enough of what's going on right now. Um, to even like, I don't think I'd be able to process a spoiler if you gave me one, unless you specifically said like, like this character explodes. <laughs> Outside of that, yeah, I'm I'm pretty lost. I keep falling asleep because by the time the kids go to bed and we wind down and put it on, it's like <laughs> old old man bedtime. At least you're the parents who have not made the mistake to allow children to watch this show under the assumption that this is a children's show. <laughs> no, my kids are really little. Um, but it's especially this season with all like the the bones cracking and stuff. This is an intense one for kids. I know, especially like the first like couple minutes of it. I was like, oh damn! Oh my god! I know. Yeah, everybody. So I didn't even realize that Stranger Things had come back out, um, and a lot of my students had come in the day after it premiered, I guess, and they were like, "You should really watch it," but also you should really just. Be careful when you watch it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, their timing could have been better, I guess. I mean, they basically said so in the disclaimer as well. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna do a mass shooting show, there doesn't se- seem to ever be a window anymore where it's appropriate. Not um, in these last so couple I guess you weeks. Just put the disclaimer up and go for it. Otherwise, God knows how long you're gonna be waiting. You know, it's like we've been waiting for the show for a couple years, and it's like, you know what, we can't wait for these kids to be, well, they already all are, like, adults now. We don't need them to be, like, men and shit. Yeah, that's true. We watch them go through puberty. It's very awkward. (laughs) Yeah, we we got through it all with them. And we're all pretending it's only been 185 days. (laughs) I know. But you know what? I forget so much of what happened that, I end up having to watch little bits of the last season anyway, so it makes it a little more uh, cohesive, I guess. See, I like when they do the recaps, but... I do, too. Yeah, I'm the kind of person where I have very, very nerdy friends, and one of them is into Dungeons & Dragons. Yes, we are grown-ass adults. (laughs) (laughs) No judgment. I write poetry, so I don't judge people for any of their hobbies. See, I, I like to make fun of it, but I actually know... Like the like, who Vecna is and the Demogorgon so and everything. Is that Im- important? Like, because I like I said, I feel super lost. Had I played Dungeons and Dragons, would I have been like, oh, I know exactly what's going on here? I mean, it's not like these like characters are straight out of Dungeons and Dragons. It's just a bunch of preteens trying to conceptualize this very supernatural, crazy hellscape okay. that's happening around them by using what they know from Dungeons and Dragons. Gaia. So okay. It's not that like it actually sense. is Vecna, but they're calling it Vecna, and it looks sure. just like Vecna. Okay. Gotta Whatever love it. Whatever that is. Yeah. <laughs> He's like a five-star general in the Upside Down. Okay, so that makes sense. That's like a good way to make that thing make sense. Yeah, like he's not in charge, but he's a motherfucking badass who will kill you. <laughs> my mom texted me and was like, I don't understand what's happening in Stranger Things. And I just assumed that she was on season four. And I was like, are you talking about that like skeleton worm guy? <laughs> and she was like, what? And I, that was the best that I could do to describe it. And she said, we're on 
three episode whatever. But yeah, skeleton guy, but he's like made out of moving worms. Yeah, I mean, it's a great That's the way. best I can do. Or he reminds me of that one character in Mortal Kombat. And yeah, you really have to have watched that nerdy ass movie. <laughs> I played the game a thousand years ago. Oh, I did too. It was always but awesome. I don't think I ever saw the movie. Yeah, that's an extra level of geekiness. <laughs> I was clearly not a popular person, if you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> I Listen, I nerded out just on different stuff. I never, I've never been able to dive all the way into... This is an unpopular opinion, but I've never been able to dive all the way into anything superhero... Um, I'm with you there. I can't get into like all the other worlds. I've I never got into Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. I never did any of that stuff. I think that like I view the world as such a chaotic place to exist in to begin with. I'm like more interested in things that tear that apart and kind of like help that make sense that like I can't even think about taking on other planes of existence you're very grounded in our fucked up reality you're not yeah, ready to I like escape exploring it. the fucked up reality that i'm in i don't need another version of it in which we're all mutants or something um see i think my yeah, mind is hijacked at a much younger age so <laughs> god damn harry potter I remember, I, listen, I did like the Star Wars stuff when I was really little. I had older cousins and we would watch Star Wars and I got into that. But I like even nostalgically, I haven't even been able to get into the new Star Wars movies like they didn't do anything for me. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm just boring. Or they um, suck like I think. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, that could be it, too. I try not to say they suck just because I know that I don't like them. So, I mean, maybe other people do, but yeah, I think there's like, probably some merit in them. I just can't find it. I'm one of those, say what you feel. It's subjective. You think it sucks, yeah, or I think it that's sucks. That's true. Doesn't mean it necessarily do does like, suck. I'll do that way more with music. I feel like I know more about music that I can judge it. Like, I'll say country music sucks, and I can't stand pop country, and I know in my heart and my stomach that I'm right. <laughs> But I can't do that with fantasy because it's just not my world. Ooh, when you say pop country, is that like the same as like, you know, stadium country? I guess, yeah. Okay. That's probably the correct term for it. No, I really wouldn't even fucking know. If you listen to this show, I almost always berate people and be like, what's the difference between folk music and country music? Oh, there's a big difference. There's a big difference, right? Like folk music... I think leans more just on, I, I guess I think of folk music more as a style of playing that has a lot more lyrical freedom. Mm -hmm. Like you can listen to the, the Fleet Foxes and call that folk music just as much as you can listen to um, like, you know, early Bob Dylan stuff and call it folk music. They both, the, the playing style is similar but when you get into stadium country, it's just, we write hooks about these six things. Um, it's pandering, you know. It is. It's all it is is pandering. And I can't, like, there's no world where I can listen to it and ignore the pandering. And so I just can't, I can't hear it. Like, I, I get that it brings some people, like, a lot of joy to sit in, like, their backyard and drink, crush some beers and listen to country music. But it just, I can't do it. 
hear some guy talking about his dog and his pickup truck. <laughs> yeah, I like. I, I what do you do? Is that it? Like, is that the end of the the human experience for you? I guess <laughs> for some people it is. I guess, and you know what though? Like, maybe it's maybe that's what we should be aspiring to. I don't know. That life scares me. It it does. But the the level of relaxation that you can achieve when that's the end of the experience might be nice, you know? It might be. It might be. I imagine it being like an animal that doesn't have the capacity to understand that it's going to die. And so it can just live right now. Like, I just do what I want to do right now. And, like, maybe that's what it is. Like, it's like a dog. Yeah. Like, um, I don't recognize the finite nature of existence. So yeah, get me like a cooler of Coors Light in my Dodge pickup down by the river. I am so excited that you said that pet thing because I wasn't sure if I was the only one who's really thought about that a lot. <laughs> I, uh, I spend a lot of time on the highway because I commute a lot for work. Um, and so my friends and my wife and I have a long running um, joke where we send back and forth pictures of Dodge Rams to each other that have like creative redneck stickering. <laughs> um, and like, it's become one of my favorite. It's like my where's Waldo. I spend every day just like scanning the cars on the highway. Like who's got a good one. Who's got a good one. Um, I feel like that's what I would do if I had to commute. It makes it fun. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it a little dangerous. You gotta be, I need one of those like uh, dash cams so I don't have to try and take pictures of them. Yeah. I, I would recommend that. We don't need a writer lost. <laughs> No. Especially in such a lame pursuit. I was trying to take a picture of that Dodge's AR-15 sticker, and I drove off the road. I mean, it would just be like, hey, I just accidentally walked in front of a truck because I was trying to do a Stranger Things slash podcast tweet. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Exactly. So we have a lot of workplace hazards. Yeah. But, okay, before we go any further, I think we should tell people who the fuck you are. <laughs> sure. Okay, so go for it. Uh, my name is Francis Delario, and I am a writer from just outside Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, I've written a couple of books. Some of them were collaborative, and I am about to release uh, my first completely by myself book, um, which is a book of poetry uh, called Joy. And what is that about? Um, well, it sounds like it should be a happy book. Yeah, I was going to say, don't say it's book. about Joy. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 about reaching for joy. Um, I wanted to write a happy book because my first full-length collection was really sad. And after that came out, I started doing readings, and I got really into the reading performance. I really enjoy being up there and doing that. But the content that I was working with was these tiny, short poems that were all really sad. Um, and so when I was done that cycle... I decided that I was going to try and write a happy book. Um, my wife was pregnant. We were going to have our first kid. And it was all going to be sunshine and unicorns. Um, and we were going to call it joy. And then, the, I mean, as you've recognized, living on this planet, everything fell apart. Um, my good friend who was supposed to illustrate the book, uh, who also illustrated my first two, um, passed away. He died by suicide in 2018. And um, so this book became more about kind of living through trauma, living with, with 
chronic anxiety and trying to raise children in just this absolute chaotic landscape that we're bringing them into. Um, so I still think it's, it's not a happy book, but I, I think it's a hopeful book. Um, it's about the journey kind of towards happiness. Exactly. Yeah. It's recognizing that there's a lot of shit that we have to crawl through. Um, but it's, it's hoping that there's something good coming. I mean, it really does feel much more, as you even just said, grounded in reality. Yeah. Yeah, I wish it didn't have to feel so grounded in reality, but um, I'm satisfied with the level of hope that I was able to lasso in it, even if it's not happy. So you're getting ready to do a big book launch, and I think you mentioned doing a tour and everything? Little tour, yeah, little East Coast thing. Um, Yeah, I'll be in Philly and Boston for a couple days and Brooklyn, and there's a few virtual readings lumped in there too for the people that are far away or aren't comfortable getting into the big crowds just yet um yeah tried to try to mix it up a little bit so we could be a little more available for people and you actually enjoy doing the readings i do yeah um sorry i just have a lot of authors who like get really nervous just like i do uh, so you know what i started out playing music Um, when I was a kid and I loved playing like in bars or, you know, basements or whatever, that was like my favorite thing to do. Um, and so I don't get to do that anymore, obviously, but, um, this has kind of been my replacement for that. I do really enjoy getting up in front of people and doing any kind of performance. Um, it really, it changed the way that I write. Um, like I said, if, and when we wakes poems are really tiny, and when I would get ready to do a reading, I would have to read like 30 of them to fill a short set. Um, and so I think the natural progression was that the poems got longer and longer. And so now, you know, there's poems in Joy that are multiple pages long, which would have felt absolutely impossible six years ago. Mm-hmm. So why don't you play music anymore? Um, I guess time. I can write at lunch, I can write in my car. Um, I used to like do voice memos and record like talk poem ideas into my car on the turnpike. Um, and it's all like writing a book is achievable without, I guess, committing a huge amount of time outside of normal life. Um, whereas being in a band was just, you know, you got to practice with people in a place and then you have to, the, the whole thing is, it's just way more time consuming. I love the collaborative process, which is why I think I've always brought other people into my books with me. Um, cause I still love working with other people, but this is just something that I can do, um, more regularly without having to sacrifice family time or I can still have a full-time job. I like that you mentioned collaborative process because you also did, uh, with the difference with Nick Gregorio. Yeah. What was that like? Oh my God. It was so much fun. Um, it was complicated, like figuring out. So I, I am a first person writer. Um, I don't make up stuff. Everything that I write about 
is either happening to me now or happened to me at some point. I guess I'm <laughs> going back to my critique of like fantasy <laughs> stuff. I can only really exist in this world. Um, You're so right, what you Nick, know, guy. Yeah, exactly. And when Nick brought that idea to me, I was really excited about like being able to grab some content that maybe wasn't mine and reimagine it. But I didn't even end up doing that. I ended up taking his stories and turning them into like, this is how I would react if I was here. So I still first personed it. Um, but it was a lot of fun to like break out of my brain for a little while and, you know, focus on somebody else. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I really liked it too. We're actually, we have the same publisher. My book is through Trident also. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Nate's publishing great. Publishing buddies. Um, are you working with Nate? Uh, yeah. I already yeah. had my book come out. It's the only living girl in Chicago. And yes. I published two out of three of Nick's books for Malden House. So yeah. 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 Um, I really enjoyed working with Trident. I thought Nate took really good care of the book. I was really happy with how it came out. I'm 90% sure I'm the reason why Nick and Nate met each other. Oh yeah. Wasn't it through like a, something in Portland? Uh, no. Or maybe not. It was in... Book Fest or something? Yeah, it was a book fest. I'm trying to... Denver, yeah. Denver, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right, because they're in Boulder. Yeah, and yeah, Nick and I, we had gone to a place... We don't know the name of this bar. We would just call it Metal Bar. <laughs> it's somewhere in, like, downtown Denver. And I'm saying downtown Denver as if I know the neighborhoods. I don't know. But we got Nate to go with us, and I don't know, almost everyone else that looked like they really were an outsider. <laughs> we just dragged them, like, we're going to go um, get some drinks. And so that's where you guys met Nate? Yeah. Well, I'm glad that went down, because otherwise, I don't know what would have happened with this book. So how do you know Nick? Um, I went to high school with Nick. Um, he was a year ahead of me in high school, and then... We both did our MFAs at Arcadia. He was a year behind me um, at Arcadia. Fascinating. So that's kind of how we reconnected. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool indeed. Yeah, small world. And I know he, is a, he does uh, music. He does more punk. What kind of music yes. did you do? Uh, I guess like alternative. Um, this was like the early, the early aughts. So what was it? Like a combination of... Oh, man. Um, I don't really even know what you would compare it to now. Maybe like Incubus. Remember those guys? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't anything that would probably do very well today. Is this something we could find online? Uh, I doubt it. Yeah. If only. Yeah, th that stuff's stuck on tapes and CDs and places. Oh, come on. Thank I God. need to hear this. Thank God. You know what? I'm, I, I don't let it out. Because <laughs> once, once you open the box, that shit never goes away. Yeah, don't worry. I definitely know that. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. Oh, my God. I'd love to hear some of the songs. What was your band's name? You know what? I'm not even going to say it. I'm not. We, we used to, we have had multiple names. I'll put it, I'll, I'll say that. Yeah. Um, I was the singer. And so... I'm very protective of it because it's the last <laughs> thing I need coming out. <laughs> Believe me, I have had other friends who are teachers who have had like far worse uh, band situations when eventually it came out. So, Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I have students every once in a while that will show up to readings. Um, 
And so I just thank God that I'm not playing music anymore because like that would be super uncomfortable to have them there and try and like do a musical performance. Mm-hmm. That would be a challenge. See, I'm not even sure I could actually be a teacher these days with my writing. It's way too weird. Yeah, I don't, I, that, they don't read it. <laughs> the kids read it, but they don't take it to their parents or anything. I don't think. You don't think. I think as long as, as long as you, I try my best to just fly under the radar in general. Yeah. Um, so it, I haven't had any issues with it yet, but yeah, I, I mean, it's tricky. I definitely have not written things that I otherwise would have written because I knew that it would eventually end up in a book and it, like, I just don't need the headache. So there is that. That's, un- that's frustrating. I definitely, yeah, I've written too many dark things in my writing <laughs> where it's just like, no, I can't be a teacher now. I've had actual family members find it and I was like, no, you're not supposed to read this. It's like R-rated. Don't read this. <laughs> I know it's uncomfortable, right? There's that like pit in your stomach when you know that someone that you personally know is reading the thing you wrote. It's uncomfortable. It's very, very uncomfortable. Like on Christmas to see a relative you don't really see often, and they're like, "I'm reading your book," and you're like, "Oh dear God." Yeah. Oh wow. We'll enjoy it, but don't feel like we have to talk about it. <laughs> it it's not even like enjoy it. It's almost gonna be like, "Can I buy that back from you?" <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a refund. I'm gonna give you more than I made on it to get it back. Exactly. <laughs> be like, I need your parents not to know this. I don't need my siblings to know. I might have alluded to them. See, that's the difference between fiction and poetry, though, because fiction, they read it. Um, Poetry, they buy it, and they'll read, like, the back cover and maybe, like, the first poem, and whatever the middle poem is, they flip to. And they're like, oh, that was so great that you did that. (laughs) (laughs) So as long as it's not one of those three, you're normally safe with poetry. But, yeah, fiction, people sit on the beach, and they'll actually read it, and then you're in trouble. See, I like to call my book, because it came out in summer, an anti-beach beach beach read. (laughs) sit inside when it's beautiful outside and read this book exactly but no I've written poetry too um the issue is with my one book I bookended it with the very first poem and the very last poem being dark as fuck oh yeah yeah see you gotta watch for that but it came (laughs) out beautifully it sounded great I mean that's what matters realistically that's what actually matters but you don't need people reading that shit that's true yeah I know. I thought about that a lot. Like, what, what headspace am I putting people in with this? Like, when I, whenever I write now, I try to think about that. Because I think before, I wasn't really too considerate of my reader. And I, I leaned too far. I pushed him too far into the dark without maybe, like, putting a hand out. Um, you pushed so yeah, them but, into the upside down. I, yeah, and then I didn't even give them their headphones. What the fuck? Um, I would feel like an asshole. So I definitely try to think about that a little bit more this time around. Like, how can I maybe lean on hope a little bit more than despair? So you named your book Joy. So I named it Joy. But it looks like a horror movie. I was going to (laughs) say. I mean, the cover, I love the cover, but we intentionally, like, darkened it up so it kind of looks a little terrifying. But see, it's just going to intrigue people more. Hopefully. They're going to be like, what's joyful about this? I need to yeah, see. Yeah, this doesn't look like joy. There's dead plants and mouth bones on here. I mean, 
I don't know. You're obviously all around Gen Z and below, so you know they're into the fucked up shit. That's true. Yeah, they like it. The darker it looks, the more like entranced they are by it. Yep. Like, this yeah. is nothing but black, and it's called Joy. Ooh, he understands irony. <laughs> he gets me. <laughs> I just, I, I hope your students buy your book. Oh, God, I tell them that I'd really rather if they didn't until after they graduate. If you want to buy it then, buy it then, but... Do you think they yeah. listen? Some of them do. I, th- some of them buy it, and then they don't bring it in until graduation. Um, but some of them actually listen. See, sometimes I've definitely I, I've done it where I had one teacher, Dr. Pucciani. Shout out again to you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> she was a published poet, and uh, I bought her stuff, and I just kept it on my desk every day. Oh, that's a flex! You just took it out and put it there. Yeah, and I, I never even read it. I just didn't like her. <laughs> I just got it, and I just put it out on my desk every day. Oh, God. I had a kid dress up like me for Halloween a bunch of years ago, and he brought in a copy of it and walked around. I was like, I don't walk around holding that. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, but it helps people know that I'm you. I was going to say, what else goes with that costume? Um, he wore a pair of... Go- it was really just he dressed like a teacher and had a copy of my book. That was pretty much it. What does a teacher look like these days? Because, like... Tired. <laughs> <laughs> for me, like, I just remember, like, what, like, cardigans and shit. All right, all right. Take it easy. I've got a couple of those. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I do too, but it's like, is These that the main? These are drafty. Yeah. I like it. We have a couple teachers that go all out and they suit up. Um, but for the most part, it's like, you know, whatever you'd wear to like a casual restaurant maybe is what you can get away with here. See, I was, I'm afraid that like I'm, I think I would look too much like a student. That happens. That happens. Somebody came into my classroom a couple weeks ago to get a kid, and I thought he was a student, and I kind of gave him some shit. He was like, hey, I'm here for Tyler, and I was like, all right. Uh, And when he took the kid out, one of my other students was like, you don't know who that is, do you? And I was like, am I supposed to know who that is? And she said, that's that's a teacher here. (laughs) I was like, oh, no. (laughs) See, that's where, I guess, really dressing the part matters. It does, yeah. Because, like, I'm five feet tall, and everyone always says I don't look 31, so, yeah. Yeah, so you get lost in the shuffle. I definitely would. I was a special ed aide for a while, and nobody could tell that I wasn't, like, another high school student there. Yeah. It was like, uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. It definitely happens a lot. We have a lot of younger teachers here now. I've been here for a while, so nobody confuses me with a student, but some of the younger teachers definitely do. I love, like, when you are a student, you always assume that the teachers are, like, in their 40s and 50s, and then eventually you find out, oh, shit, they're only in their, like, mid-20s. You know, this year, a bunch of, I don't know, I don't ask people to guess my age. I don't know why they keep doing it, (laughs) but I'm 35, and I've never gotten anywhere south of 40 with these guesses, so it's it's the beard. (laughs) Yeah, I know, it's the beard. I hope that it's only the beard. I have a lot of gray. I'm looking at your, like, Twitter picture right now. I don't see the gray. Maybe it's just a good angle. <laughs> <laughs> I, sh- I probably had the photographer blur them out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I didn't do that. Can you imagine 
Get rid of my grays, will you? Soften up those wrinkles. I mean, at least you don't like have gray in your beard. I remember Nick had that, and that's why Bruce, he shaved. I'm getting a couple. I'm getting a couple. Ooh. Um, and I just, as long as they don't come in in a big patch, my wife is not a fan of the beard, and I feel like a giant gray patch is going to be kind of the nail in the coffin on it, but I really don't want to get rid of it. See, the beard, it looks like it really completes your look. Did your student figure out a way to do a beard? Uh, well, I teach seniors, and so I think he had a beard. Whoa, that's impressive. <laughs> is, it is. It's the fun thing, the difference between uh, teaching freshmen and teaching seniors is seniors, like, they look like people, and freshmen don't. <laughs> That might be the best description ever. They, d- they don't look like people yet. <laughs> yeah, they don't. They just, they look like they're almost people. Like, they're on their way to be people. And some of them you could confuse for people. But ultimately, you know that they're not all the way people yet. Just like the Stranger Things kids. <laughs> yeah, look, and now they look like people. Even I guess they're like 30 now, but... I was going to um, say, the only like ones that really look like people are the ones who are actually our age pretending to be 18-year-olds. <laughs> Yeah, and we're going to look at back on it like people look back at Greece. Um, oh, dear like Lord. Like, it's hilarious that the people in Greece were supposed to be high schoolers. I mean, it's the, the same thing like with Scream, The one guy looks like he's 50 too. years old. Yeah. God, I haven't seen Greece in forever. Neither have I. <laughs> I just like how we just threw a musical in this. <laughs> oh, God, that's <laughs> another one I hate. I can't do musicals. Yeah, you brought it into the conversation. For the, for the same reason that I can't do fantasy stuff. Like, it, the, the whole reality for me is shattered when all the people start singing together. Like, you all don't know that song. If I fell, like, walking out to the bus and dropped my shit and stood up and started singing about it, all the people with me wouldn't start singing too, you know? Like, I can't, it just, it hurts. I can't get into musicals for the same reason. See, these days, though, with the Gen Z kids, they're pretty good. They'd all get into the same song. They all, all the probably know it. Dancing. Yeah. yeah, that's maybe. Just maybe it's more real for them than it is for me. You drop something, you feel really fucked up, you suddenly start singing a Harry Styles song. Everyone knows <laughs> it. Okay, but that's, see, that's the difference, though, is they're never singing an already popular song. True. They're singing what's supposed to be spontaneous, and everybody else just gets it. See, the only thing about Greece that I like, and I don't know why, is the fact that it actually originally was not supposed to take place in California. It actually, the musical was written and took place here in Chicago. Oh, really? Yeah, and uh, I know the high school is my dad's high school. That's where it was supposed to be. Oh, no way. Yeah, and then when they were making the movie, they were like, yeah, we need a more outdoorsy kind of venue and everything. So then it got swapped. Yep. Interesting. I mean, especially when, like, you have the whole beach thing and everything. It was supposed to be North Avenue Beach. It's a really city-ish beach. (laughs) Nothing like L.A. Oh, okay. I'm, like, kind of picturing things in my head. It's been so long since I've even seen it that, like, what you're saying makes sense, but I can barely even picture it in my head anymore. Yeah, just, you know, it, it's California-esque in the yeah. 50s, I think. Is that is that when it's supposed so. to take place? Yeah, I think. Yeah. The chicks are pretty risque for the 50s. Yeah, I guess. But the poodle skirts, right? The guys are pretty big assholes for the 50s, which I guess lines up. Assholes are kind of date rapey. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I think like that first song, they're like, did she put up a fight? That is one of the lines. And I feel like they don't do that play 
very often in schools anymore because a lot of people were like, this is weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like that, though. I like that they know that's weird. Yeah, that's, that's great. It's great that we're recognizing it as weird. Instead of being like, yeah, did she? It's like, <laughs> oh, God, no, don't teach the students that. <laughs> yeah, this isn't what they need. But at least they're not being like, oh, my God, that's so problematic to everything. But, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we are going to play a really quick game of overrated and underrated okay. when it comes to music. Okay. And you'll, you could give an explanation and everything. Records? Okay. Overrated or underrated? Are we talking like vinyl? Yeah, vinyl. I collect it, so I'm going to say... I don't think it's underrated because people are pretty into it but I'm not going to call it overrated because I think the listening experience is better than digital. I dig it. It's very true. I agree with you 100%. Okay. Sitting down at concerts. Oof. I, I want to take a neutral stand. I, I, I don't know. Okay. I stand at concerts unless everybody around me is seating is seated and I don't want to be the asshole standing up. But generally speaking, it feels like you should stand up at a concert. Have you ever been to one of those awkward venues where it's like it's a band you stand up to, but for some reason they picked one that has seats? Yes, I've been to a bunch of those. And you just kind of everybody just kind of leans on the folded up seat. Mm hmm. Which is kind of nice. I don't hate that. Um, but you, you run the risk of a lot of people sitting down in those spots. And then you're like, I guess I'm just going to sit. <laughs> I mean, it really is. It's like you have a group think of like awkwardness. Like, do we sit or do we stand? Yeah, it's one of those rare instances where we have to determine like what's best for the group. And you get to pick the guy like that. that look at that asshole standing up. Everybody's sitting down. We're, this is a sit down one. Um, even though I would probably like everybody to stand up. See, for me, I saw Sleater Kinney. They picked one of the venues that had seats. Everyone sat down, and I was just like, oh, shit, this is Sleater Kinney. You don't sit down during this. Yeah, like, you don't. But I stood for Iron and Wine, which, if there's somebody that you can probably have a seat for... Yeah, you could take it's a seat for Iron and Wine. Iron and Wine, but there weren't seats. So, like, yeah, maybe we should be paying more attention to which bands we book at which venues. Yeah, I don't think that they really have that great of venue bookers, the mid-sized bands. I think it's just kind of a, a shit show. Like, having booked a couple of shows with musicians for this tour, it's tough. Um, like, figuring out who's open each night but still being able to line up like a schedule that makes sense. Um, yeah. So I, I empathize with them because it's definitely a challenge. I had to get uh, a friend of mine is, is um, I don't even know what to say he is. He has like 800 jobs, but one of the things that he's really good at is tour managing and booking. And so he took care of booking all these shows because I was just underwater with it. I couldn't figure it out. Um, so it's definitely a challenge. But yeah, they, it would be nice if they could get on, on track with, this is a quiet band. Let's send them to the one with the seats. See, that would definitely be a challenge. I'm one of those people with 800 jobs, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, more power to you. I don't know how you do it. 
Well, I do it from home and with a lot of coffee. Yeah, oh, that's true. That's That helps. And a cat. She keeps me company. <laughs> or she gets really in the Whatever way works. of the job. Who knows? Okay. Overrated, underrated. Crowd surfing. Oh, God. Uh, I'm going to say overrated. Um, I've never crowd surfed. I have had people crowd surf over me. Um, and like, whatever, I don't care. I'll put my hands up and keep them moving. But I've never been so moved by music that like I needed my ass to be in like 30 people's faces as I was moved <laughs> around a room. Um, but that's just me. So I'm going to say overrated. And yeah, the whole like awkward situation of having to like have someone help like hoist you up and everything too. Yeah, and ultimately you get dropped. You probably get dropped somewhere. I, I only did it once. I was lucky enough to not get dropped. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've seen bands do it. It's kind of fun when you see the band do it. I saw Cage the Elephant and Matt Schultz did it. That was pretty awesome. I saw Idols last October and their guitar player did like a, it wasn't a crowd walk, but he kind of kneel walked, mm-hmm. knelt walked through the crowd and that was fun. And he sang like a bunch of different love songs from the middle of the crowd. Scream sang them. It was interesting. When I saw so that was fun. Cage Elephant, it, I guess, yeah, it would be the crowd walk, but he went down pretty quickly after that. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't make it all the way back <laughs> yeah, to I mean, the it's stage. All, you, you're at the mercy of the, at the audience on that one, how far you get to go. Why he decided to do that after he'd previously already, like, fallen during the show i don't know but you know rock and roll it was probably on the set list it said this is the song you got to walk for i know i ended up <laughs> finding out later that uh he cracked his ribs ah, during Jesus. that set hey he kept going that's that's music for you that yeah there you go that's punk and if you ever want to see that concert apparently they videotaped that one it's live at the vic there you go hey if you got to break your ribs at a show at least you can turn it into a concert film hell yeah Okay, last one. Overrated, underrated, going to a concert alone. Underrated. Um, I have a couple people that I go to concerts with. My wife, my good buddy. Uh, I have a couple of friends that I will go to. But if they can't go, I have no problem showing up alone. Because I don't like to talk to people during concerts. Like, you're there to see the thing. Um and it's not, I mean, I know people are like really weird about doing things by themselves. I don't mind eating alone. Um, so there's just something about like being able to be in the zone for the experience that I enjoy. Like if the experience is a concert, I don't have to worry about anybody else. I can just listen to the thing. If I'm eating, like I can just think about this food. <laughs> there's no, there's no conversation. There's no dealing with anything else. So I think that, yeah, the, the, the solo concert is underrated. People feel weird doing it, but they shouldn't. No, they definitely shouldn't. I actually like the way that you explained a lot of people do feel awkward, like going to things alone. I go to movies alone. I eat alone. I go to concerts alone. It's kind of empowering. Yeah, it's, it lets you get fully immersed in the thing. Exactly. You don't feel like Movies you have to, like, another great example. look at the other person occasionally and make sure they're also having a good time. 
yeah, are you making the same face I'm making at this? <laughs> you don't have to do any of that. Okay, that actually is the one thing that annoys the shit out of me, is if, like, say you're at a movie and someone kind of keeps checking on you, and I just want to be like, watch the fucking movie, I swear to God. <laughs> yeah, but that's us. That's that's people. Like, am I doing the thing that I'm supposed to be doing? Are you doing the same thing with your face that I am with mine? I think it's just as much checking on yourself as it is checking on someone else. We're, we're such pack animals that it's, we're like freaked out if we don't have the same response as somebody else. I saw the movie Crimes of the Future yesterday, and I was with a friend, and I swear to God, like every couple minutes, just kept checking on me to make sure that I was having the same reaction that they were, because have you seen that movie? No. It's a David Cronenberg film. Okay. So, you know, it's body horror. It's kind of freaky. Yeah. Pretty erotic as well. <laughs> I didn't know that going in. So, yeah, it is could one be, of those awkward Could be uncomfortable ones. watching with another person. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was, especially because there was only one other person in the theater. <laughs> you know, I watched um, The Witch. I love um, that. Seen that, right? Yeah, okay, I do too. The first time I saw it, I was like, what is this nonsense? And then I fell in love with it. And so I wanted my wife to watch it. But so maybe watching horror with people that you when you already know what's coming and they don't i don't like that i'd rather just experience it at the same time because like knowing that they were gonna that witch was gonna muddle that baby uh i was like you're not you're not gonna like this next part (laughs) (laughs) and like you know spoiler she didn't like the next part um but like i didn't like knowing that that little time bomb existed mm-hmm. and not having so I would have rather if I'm going to watch something with somebody else I'd like us to both experience it for the first time I'm definitely with you there especially because what if they're the annoying person who wants to know like is what's going to happen do you think this is going to happen blah 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 and it's like I already saw this you know this yeah I know what happens I do you want me to tell you or do you want me to just play along with you guessing yeah like with scream be like I think this person's a killer like I can't tell you I saw it <laughs> Yeah. Just watch the goddamn movie. <laughs> Be like, I'm 90% sure it's this person, and you know that they're way off. And it's like, oh, my God, I can't say anything. Yeah, you just got to, sure, sure. Be like, it could be, keep watching. Yeah, maybe. So what's the last concert you saw alone? Um, alone. It's been a while. Um, especially now, like post-pandemic, it's been like everybody's dying to get out of the house. Uh, alone. It, you know, it probably was Iron and Wine. Um, I was supposed to go see Iron and Wine with my wife, and I, for, she was sick. I think she got sick. Um, and so I ended up going by myself to that one. But I, I am very into um, the communal concert experience. I do like going to shows with other people, as long as they know not to talk to me. <laughs> yep, same here. And as long as they know not to, like, put their phone in my face and shit yeah. like that. Yeah, we don't need to take a million pictures, guys. Let's just watch the people do their thing. Or basically be like, I need to go to the bathroom. Will you come with me or something like that? Yeah. Maybe it's more of a girl thing. That's I don't know. Not, yeah, that's not it. Guys don't do that as much. Um, it's normally just I'm going to slip out, go pee, and get another beer, and then I'll be back. Yeah, see, I, I'd rather someone kind of just do that on their own. I guess I could understand why girls are like that at concerts, but it's also one of those... Yeah, it's safer in packs. Yeah, it is. See, now I'm just going to be like, I, I am an asshole occasionally when I just tell my friends, be like, just do it on your own. You're, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to come and kill you at the Sleater-Kinney concert. 
Yeah, probably not. You can't say it for sure, unfortunately, but probably not. You know, honestly, like, you know that it was a pretty safe situation because at the end of the show, you know, like, when everybody goes to pee, I don't know, that's just like a collective communal thing. It's like, all right, we all had our beer, the show's over. They had, obviously, the men's room and the women's room. Everyone was just at the women's room. It was, like, all girls at the show. Oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, so... Safer fan base for them. Safer. Really annoying, though, for the... It uh, totally is annoying. ...restroom attendant who is actually kind of keeping time. <laughs> Just be like, ah, it's been a little bit. Go on. It's been enough. Just not even letting people be at the mirrors off and be like, yeah, hey, your time's done. Go. Yeah. <laughs> You're fine. It's dark in there. Exactly. Okay. So... If your book were to have a soundtrack, what would it have? Oof. Oh, you had to know I was going to throw that one out. You know what? I didn't. I didn't expect that one to come. I love how people put together those playlists for their books. And you saying this now reminded me that I wanted to do that but didn't. Um, So I am very into, like, the indie alt-rock groups. Um obviously working so much with Frightened Rabbit, they'd have to be on there. Um, I'm paired up with a bunch of musicians for this tour, so there'd definitely be some Pine Grove on there. Um, I guess I'm drawn a lot to instrumental music. Um, I write to music and I edit to music, um, but I can't have any lyrics on there because it throws me off. So... Like, Khaki King is one of my favorites. I've been listening to Khaki King for years. Um, she is a mostly solo, mostly instrumental guitar player who's absolutely incredible. Um, Mary Lattimore is another one. Um, she's a harpist who I think is based in L.A. now, but might have she definitely lived in Philly, might be from Philly. Um, her albums are another, just everything she puts out is so gentle to listen to while you're writing. So I think people could put on a Mary Lattimore album and listen to that while they read Joy, and it would make sense the whole way through. Um, There's a couple angrier moments on there in the book. So, like, maybe... uh, I'm a a huge fan of that British band Idols. Um, So there's probably a couple of poems that might might make sense with them on in the background. Um, Yeah, that's... That's probably who I can come up with right now. I like hearing like what you actually write and edit to. So it's always soft instrumental? Generally? Because it's, it's more just, it's something to take me out of the current environment. So it's, it's soft, but it isn't necessarily like major key happy music. It's, if anything, it's not. But... Um, it just creates like an atmosphere that I find really easy to write in. I like that. I actually tend to actually have, this is the darkest thing I'll admit. I like doing nature sounds while hey, writing. Whatever works. Yeah. Before I'll listen to a lot of music, like I'll kind of do like a music time and I'll jam out. But once I'm actually writing, I just can't listen to really anything unless it's like on loop. And it's just like the first like 30 seconds of a song. Yeah, I feel like it's got to be something that I've heard a million times. So my brain just knows 
what's coming mm-hmm. so I don't have to think about it. So like it's there. It almost works like white noise, but like pleasing white noise. Um, but if any of those people put out a new record, I'll have to listen to it like 30 times before it can get into the writing mix. Cause otherwise I'm caught up like, Oh wow, that sounded really cool. What, what track is this? Um, I can't, I can't be thinking about what's there, but something has to be there. Mm-hmm. Well, do you want to read anything from joy? Sure. Um, yeah, I can do a few if you want. Yeah, definitely. Um, so maybe I'll start with, this is kind of a nice mix of both. Uh, maybe the, the actual joy and reaching for joy. Um, this is a poem. It was one of the last poems written in the book, but it's the second, third poem in the actual book. Um, and it's about, I guess, expecting, it's, it's about having a wife who's pregnant and thinking about what that's going to be like. We had, um, the poem kind of explains it, but we had an app on our phones that would every week it like tells you how big your, your kid is like this week, your kid is the size of a plum. Um, and it has hair all over its body and it's terrifying. Um, and then this week your kids, now it's the size of whatever. Um, so you could pick fruit or you could pick, um, what was the other one? French, French bakery or something. So like your kids, the size of a, what is the name of this Um, app? (sighs) Shit. It's, oh God, it escapes me. Um, I'm, I'll have to ask my wife because we deleted it once we decided we weren't having any more kids. Um, we could add that to the show notes later. <laughs> yeah, right, I'll have to ask her and I'll let you know. Um, so this is a poem. It's called Good Morning Blueberry. And it's about the week that the baby was the size of a blueberry. Awoken early to the steady rain and a cricket chirp from the app on my phone that's tracking fetal growth. Bigger today than last week's sweet pea and the apple seed the week before, we live each day marveled at the unfurling, this blooming, bit by bit, today's blueberry awakening some cautious joy within, and the whole day becomes a showering of pleasantry and devotion. Good morning, love. Good morning, wife. Good morning, blueberry. Hello, daybreak and fresh start and wanting to stay alive. And everything is hope and motion and runoff and thinking in fast forward, the thaw and the sprouting life. Reminded too of that little fruit bush we plopped in the clay last spring like a premonition because we thought we could make it grow. The burlap bundle jam-packed with tiny green berries that soon faded near purple, which the birds quickly plundered. But how in the weeks before, the backyard mornings were so awake. Leah laughing from the patio while I bumbled through the garden, caked with bliss and talking the whole time. Good morning, Blueberry. Kind regards. Cheers to your fresh growth. And how bright it was before the beaks and the theft and the learning that no more could grow without a second. Something about cross-pollination, each plant needing another to thrive. Oh, how we need each other to thrive. Blueberry, I cannot wait to see what you become when you're pushed into this world that is so full of anger and fear and people all the time just wanting to die, tell me, how could you do anything but glimmer? I'm sorry, but how can we do anything but shine? Um, 
can do. It's right, a very happy poem, is... by the way. I like that. <laughs> Thank you. So I'm going to bookend them. So there's a happy one and then a not happy one, and then I'll end on a very joyous one. Um, so like I said, this book was supposed to include illustrations um, by the same guy who illustrated my first two books. Uh, his name is Scott Hutchison, and he was the singer for the Scottish band Frightened Rabbit. Um, and so this book that was supposed to be written with him ended up becoming a lot about him as I was kind of working through all of that. Um, and so this is a poem called Swimming Till You Can't See. And there's a, a running joke in the Frightened Rabbit community that if you ever drink with Frightened Rabbit, it'll be the drunkest that you've ever been. Um, and we launched Please Plant This Book in Brooklyn <clears throat> back in 2018. And after that, they had a set at a venue in Brooklyn, and then we all ended up in the basement um, <clears throat> drinking all night. And I can't remember a whole lot of it, um, but this poem is about that, and it's called Swimming Till You Can't See. Here's a soggy memory of a basement bar in Brooklyn. Everything burned neon, my shoes glued to the floor by some other night's sick, Holler talking until the noise blurs into one big sound that's so loud I can barely order another round for me and my pal. For here we have come to celebrate a birth of sorts, a blossoming. And so this is a night of hands on shoulders for balance, sure, but also for joy. But as the whiskey sinks in, my eyes start doing that thing where they don't quite see anymore. And I don't necessarily know where my knees are, but following his lead, the drinks drop like shots red-faced and spinning, and by now, you have to know how this ends. Friends, I've spent some nights at the drink. It's true, these very words should to you taste thick, iodine and brine, salt and sea-soaked as they are in spirit. I've been that guy, ashamed to say, painting the walls and shit beer, filling sump pumps with my furious insides, which is to say I was not kind to my adolescent self or my older self either, my 26th birthday finding me deep in a bottle of absinthe, a post-impressionist fairy hunter so adrift in the wormwood, I believed I could read the bottle's French label, channeling sixth grade foreign language class, and yes, I'm telling you, I one time drank myself French, a votre santé, and down I went. But none of this training, this organ pickling, this tempering of tolerance proves useful now. The walls doing that seasick swerve and everyone soaked in sheer. And while that isn't where this ends, it's all I've held on to. Nothing else but guiding hands, a taxi, and my friend head over his shoulder hollering, text me a dick, as he hovers away from me forever. Out into that New York night, I'll spend the rest of my life begging to remember. All right. Um, let's see. I guess I should end with a happy one, right? This is called Joy. <laughs> um, all right, we'll do this one. This is a fun one. This is a little quick one. So I don't, I'm not really good at love poems. Um, I don't write a lot of love poems, mainly because I, I think for me, writing is kind of about figuring stuff out. Um, and I've, you know, I've been with my wife since we were 16, so I feel like I've got that pretty much figured out. But um, I was going to say, that's a long time. Good for you. It is. You did yeah. figure it out. We figured it out. Uh, and on occasion, I can, I can produce a love poem. Um, so this is one of those. Uh, again, I can't make anything up, so this is all just, I'm lucky that just shit just happens. 
Um, and this is called, On an Afternoon in May, a Bee Assumed My Wife a Flower. Imagine spotting her from all the way across the yard. What must have felt like miles to the fuzzy little worker who, seeing her poking up from her patio chair, all wrapped in the ultraviolet wash of daffodil and tulip, made a beeline straight past the dandelions and the crocuses, not slowing a bit until reaching the target, dancing just above her head, at which point he must have known she'd no pollen to offer, but lingered a while still, hovering above, just basking, feeling probably like he'd hit the jackpot, like he'd died and gone wherever bees hope they'll go, and believe me, friend, I get it. I felt myself almost say it out loud. I completely understand. So there you have some poems from Joy. I really like that last one. Thank you. I, I liked all of them, but last one definitely put like a smile on my face. Yeah, that's uh, it's toward the end of the book. There's this, there's some in there that are like, hey, it's okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. <laughs> that's like the you're holding the person's hand being like, I got the life rope. I'll save you I from Vecna. Yeah, exactly. I think that's how I hope that I exist for people when they read this book. Like, just a quiet, it's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. See, that's why you're probably a good teacher, too. You seem empathetic. Maybe. I just feel like this is all so chaotic and terrifying all the time that if we're not here for <laughs> each other, what's the point of doing any of it? See, that's why you don't need to have fantasy. Our world is already terrifying. That's... I. It's my, that's my thing. We're already in the upside down. Yeah, it feels like we're in the bad place, and so you just kind of help each other figure it out. I really think those poems are going to help, yes. So, is there anything you want to plug before we go? Uh, sure. Um, you can get Joy wherever books are sold. Um, please buy Indie. If you're out of the country, unfortunately, Amazon is the only place you can grab them for now. But if you're, if you're in the States, um, you can get it from any indie bookshop. Uh, and I'll be on tour in June and July around the East Coast and virtually for people that um, are far away. That's very exciting. All right. It was great to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. All right, that was Francis a vulnerable and visceral writer that you should all check out more. I know I will. Definitely get a copy of his poetry collection, Joy, and maybe catch him on tour. If you want to get to know Francis and his work more, check out his author's site, Francis Delario, or his Twitter, FDWrites. The spelling for both will be in the show notes. As always, if you want to get to know us more, Find Textual Healing on Twitter at PodHealing and take a look at our website, textualpodcast.com. If you would like to help us out, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review or head on over to our website and pick up some more swag. We have some really fun Textual Healer t-shirts available for you now. Check out past episodes and keep a lookout for new ones to come every other Saturday. This is Mallory Smart. Thanks for listening to the show.